But for today, we are in John chapter 17, and we are looking at Jesus's prayer, which is commonly referred to as the high, high priestly prayer. And why? Because as the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is our true high priest. And uh, this prayer is just really powerful and, and it's really encouraging for us to look at and to consider when we're living out, living out our everyday lives. Uh, John 17, starting in verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have, who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they kept your word. They have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they received them and have come to know in truth that I come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And that is the word of the Lord. So this morning, we continue to look at intimate details of Jesus's prayer, intimate details of a prayer from uh, from a son to a father. And like I said last week, to be able to hear someone's prayer is pretty special because most of the time that's very private for us. And for us to hear the son of God praying to God, the father, that's just amazing. For us to be able to read what Jesus said and use it to minister to our souls. Because in this prayer, there's, there's so much for us. There's so much, number one, there's so much truth. There's so much meat there for us to chew on. But then also, there's just so much hope and encouragement in these verses that Jesus uh, prays to the Father. And when we look at this prayer, verses 6 through 12 basically are setting the scene. They are the basis. They set the basis of the prayer. Verses 6 through 12 tell us who, why, and when. Not exactly what. Jesus uh, goes on there from verse 13 and begins to talk about the what. 
But the who, the why, and the when are set up and are explained in verses 6 through 12. Now, first, Jesus declares that, number one, he has completed the work that God has given him to do. And this theme is a continuation from last week when we read verses 1 through 5. When Jesus exalted himself, basically, and said, I have done my part, Father, now it's time to do, for you to do your part. And Jesus, his part was to be completely obedient to the will of the Father, to what the Father had called him to do. And he was completely obedient to that. And Jesus here says it again. He declares that he has completed the work he was given. And specifically, he talks about the work he was given to do with the disciples. Now, I think that's pretty humbling if you, if, if you were one of these disciples. It's actually pretty humbling as a believer as well. We, we tend to think of the cross in general terms. We think God died for his people. And we forget how personal that is. When we look at the lives of the disciples, we just say, well, you know, the disciples that followed him. But part of Jesus' calling was to minister to these specific disciples. God knew them by name. He chose them by name. And they followed Christ because God willed it to, for, them to, for, for that to happen. The same thing is true for us. We think as, of the cross in general terms, but yet Christ was sent for us specifically. When he died on the cross, he died for you. If you are a believer today, he died for you specifically. And we have to understand it that way. When we learn to understand it that way, it changes everything for us. We see that we have a Savior who is personal and who loves us, who loves us. Yes, we are a part of his church and he loves his church, but we have to understand that he loves us. And here with the disciples, I think it's just extremely humbling that that God, the Father, sent the Son to do specific work with these specific people here in our, in our chapter. He says this in verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Now, the reason why I title this Jesus Praise for the Church is, be, is because first here in um, verses 6 through 19, we have to understand that he is praying specifically for the disciples. And then at the end of verse, at the end of chapter 17, he brings in all believers who would believe from the preaching of their word. But although Jesus is praying specifically for these disciples, we get to see how his prayer for these disciples carry on to us today. But Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Manifested means to reveal. So Jesus is saying, I have revealed your name in truth. I have revealed who you are, Father. In other words, he has revealed the Father to them, and he has done that through himself. We see this theme throughout John where the Father and the Son are one. And he tells the disciples, if you see me, you've seen the Father. So through what he has said, what he has done, everything in his life, he has revealed the truth about the Father in himself. And that's what Jesus is explaining here in his prayer. I have manifested your name 
to the people whom you have gave me out of the world. Now notice that the disciples were given to the Father. We talked about this last week and how God's election is front and center here. Notice how Jesus didn't say, I have manifested your name to the people who have decided to follow me. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you have given me out of the world. Yeah, no doubt these people decided to follow him. But there would be no decision to follow him if there were no heart change. If God didn't move in them first for them to move towards God. And that's exactly what Jesus is explaining here. And this is how we all come to Christ. We are drawn to the Son by the Father. That's how we recognize our sin. That's how we know we are sinners in need of a Savior. God does that in us. And then we follow him. He says in verse 6, yours they were, and you gave them to me. See, the disciples, like all believers, were set apart as holy by the Father. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. He says, yours they were, and you gave them to me. That's something else for us to understand today as well. Just like Jesus died for us specifically, we specifically belong to God. Ricky Garcia belongs to God. Insert your name, you belong to God. You were his. And he sent you to Christ. And in Christ, you have life, life to the full. So the disciples, like all believers, were set apart as holy by the Father to be used as vessels of mercy for the Son. And here, as we said, as I said before, Jesus specifically prays for the disciples. And we see that in verse 9. I've given you, right now I have given you basically the basis of the prayer. The who, the why, and the when. Now let's talk about the what and what exactly Jesus asks on behalf of the disciples and how it pertains to us. First thing he asks, verse 11. He says, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Obviously, he's speaking about himself. He is no longer in the world. He's speaking about his crucifixion, how he's going to go to be with the father. He says, but they, they speaking about the disciples who will be left behind. He says, they will be in the world, or rather, he says, they are in the world. And he says, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now, I'm going to save that second part about them being one, us being one, as the Father and Son are one, until next week, because the, the verses that we talk about next week go further into that. But I do want to talk about the prayer of Jesus for the disciples and how he specifically says, keep them in your name. Now, what's being asked for by Christ is for the Father to guard the disciples. 
And he is to guard them by his providence. And what does providence mean? His providence mean, it means the way God governs his creation. When we pray and we say, Lord, your will be done. We are acknowledging God's providence in our lives. And how we may have plans, but it's the Lord's will that determines what's going to happen. And we believe that God guards his creation by his providence in every single detail. God is not a God who has created everything, took his hands off and lets things happen just because they happen. And every now and then he interferes, so to speak. The Bible talks about him being involved. In fact, the Bible says that he works for our good. He works for his glory. So he is very involved in his creation. And Jesus is praying that the father guard the disciples by his providence by his providence, which he does through the Holy Spirit. See, to be kept in his name is the same as when Jesus said, remain in me, remain in the vine. Turn your Bibles just a couple of pages back, a couple of chapters back. John chapter 15. Let me read that to you again to see the comparison of what it means to be in the Father's name and also to remain in the vine. Jesus says this in John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Right here, verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the, branch, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But, I added that, but verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. See, the reason why I compare those two is because when we look at this parable and what Jesus prays for in verse 11 of, um, of our chapter, the point is, is that the true believer will remain with God. He will remain for God and he will be there because of God. And this is the prayer that Jesus is praying for the disciples, that they be kept in his name. First of all, it shows us the powerlessness of the disciples to be able to do anything outside of God's help. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. We're seeing that come to fruition here in John 17. There's a reason why Jesus is praying for the disciples to remain in the Father. Because apart from, apart from him, they will not be able to remain in his name. 
So we see this intercession from Jesus praying for the disciples. He's saying, Lord, they cannot do it on their own. They will fall by the wayside. They will turn back. They will go back to their sin. Lord, keep them in your name. Father, rather, keep them in your name. The same is true for us. You see that connection? How even though this prayer is specifically for the disciples, we can easily fill that gap. We can easily fill in that blank. And if it weren't for the intercession of Christ for us, we would turn back to our sins. You know that sin that you hate so much and you look at it back at way back and you look and you say, man, I can't even fathom being like that anymore. I, I hate being that way. You would love that if it weren't for God. You would be going back to that if it weren't for God. But it is God through Christ who keeps you in his name. And that's what Jesus is praying for with the disciples here. See, at one point or another, we've all wanted to walk away. All of us from the faith. Every single one of us. We've all wanted to walk away from the faith. We've all wanted to walk away from our calling. We wanted to walk away from our responsibility. We've wanted to walk away from God. And it's not something we're proud of. It's something that we're shameful about. In fact, we don't walk around saying it today. We don't walk around saying, yeah, I'm, I'm tired of serving the Lord. I'm tired of having to do all these things. How do we get that perspective? Because we, we have the wrong perspective. We have the wrong priorities. We need to repent of that. That's sinful. We need to recognize that. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that we have all fallen short in that category. We have all wanted to walk away. But what keeps us here? What keeps us in the Lord's name is God. What keeps us walking holy is the Lord. As I look at faces here, I, I, I just I know that we all have our own struggles. I know life is not easy. We have struggles in our relationships. We have struggles in our own mind. What's keeping us together is the Lord. What's keeping us together is the Father. He is one who is keeping us in his name through Christ. I get a question, and I've gotten this question a lot recently. And at first I started wondering why I was getting this question by many people, but then I just, you know, just said, oh, you know what, it is what it is, and I'm going to answer it to the best of my ability. But this question that keeps on coming up is, how have you stayed in, number one, how have you stay, stayed in ministry as long as you have? And number two, how have you stayed at the same church as long as you have? And here's my answer. It's, it's, it's not very thought-provoking at all, but it's brutally honest, because the Lord has compelled me to do so. That's the truth. I wish I could say, man, I loved every single day of ministry. I loved every single day of being here at this church. I've never had any issues with anybody. It's just great. My congregation, they all love me and I just love them back. We sing Kumbaya and it's just wonderful. 
Oh, we know well, that's not all true. In fact, I've tried to leave twice. For those of y'all who've been long enough, been here long enough, I know you remember. In fact, Pastor Laramie, he is, he is concerned to this day if him and I are in a room by ourselves and I say I have to talk to him. He gets shell-shocked. He's like, you're not leaving, are you? Some of you have struggled with that. I know a lot of things have changed here in this church the last several years. I think they've changed for the better. I think our church is being sanctified. We're being reformed by God. And because of that, God is doing a mighty work. But I know it's not easy being here once before and things were so different and now they're so different. And yet you remain Some of y'all have come up to me and and been honest with me and said, I've thought about leaving, but you said the same thing. But there's no church like our church. And I don't mean that to say to be prideful. That's what you've told in me. In other words, you're saying the Lord has compelled me to stay despite of everything I've felt and everything I've been through. See, that's what it means to be kept by the Lord. That's what it means to be kept in the name of the Father. Where you think you know better, but yet the Father continues to compel you to do his will. That's a wonderful thing. We sometimes miss that. We pass over that. We don't don't acknowledge that, but it is God's sovereignty in our lives. And thank God he's so gentle with us. Thank God we're not robots. We're not programmed. But thank God we have a father who watches over our lives. See, Jesus explains in verse 12 that he guarded the disciples. As he tells the father, keep them in your name. He says, hey, again, I have done my job. I have guarded the disciples and I have kept them in your name now I am leaving now father you keep them in your name and Jesus is honest brutally honest in this passage father I have guarded all disciples except one the son of destruction that's also a beautiful passage of God's election Just as people are set apart to be vessels of mercy, there are people who are set apart to be vessels of wrath. Scripture is very clear about that. And I know that makes us uncomfortable, but guess what? That's something that we have to deal with, with God. That's something that we have to be truthful about in his word. Is it true because it's, is it not true because it's not true or is it not true because we don't like it? So Judas is set apart for destruction. And knowing the outcome of 
the disciples' lives. Excuse me, let me back up one second. Judas is set apart for destruction. But on the other hand, Jesus is praying for the other disciples. And he's saying, keep them in your name. So knowing the outcome of Judas and knowing the outcome of the other disciples, we can see that God answered Jesus' prayer as he asked it. Obviously, because, you know, he is the son of God. He is the word of God. And he prayed perfectly. So no matter what they went through, this is the awesome thing about it. No matter what they went through, they were compelled and strengthened to continue in the faith. I know we, we think, and I think I've said this before, even here recently, man, it'd be cool to be a disciple. And in so many reasons, in so many ways, it would be cool. You, you walk around with Christ, you're taught by Christ. Those three years would be wonderful. But what about when Jesus left? That's why Jesus, the Pharisees were like, hey, why aren't your disciples walking around all sad? He said, why should they be sad? The, the bridegroom is with them. We're celebrating right now. Their time for fasting and sorrow is going to come. And it came. When Jesus ascended into heaven, they were sent out. And they were persecuted. All their lives were taken because of the gospel. The only way they stayed faithful was because Christ asked them to be kept in the Father's name. There's a book from John MacArthur. I recommend it to everyone in here. It's called 12 Ordinary Men. It's an older book. It's a great book on the disciples' life, though. During, during the gospel and then also talking about tracking them through scripture, how they ended up. You get to see everything that they went through. I highly recommend it. Again, that's 12 Ordinary Men from John MacArthur. But listen. Listen using the disciples and thinking about the disciples as an example for you. If you belong to the Lord, you're no different. He will do the same for you. Just as Christ prayed for the disciples to keep them in the Father's name, you are kept in the Father's name through everything that you go through. If you belong to him, that's how we can rest assured that he will never let us go. We will stay committed to him if we belong to him. Will we sin? Yes. But we will continue pressing forward. God will make sure of that. Second prayer request that Jesus brings up, verse 13. He says, but now I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Now, Jesus prays for the disciples to have his joy while they minister to the world. And that's extremely important. I'm glad that God has given us the joy we need. Because again, this, if, if, if this was left to up our own devices, we would not be able to produce joy in life. We would not be able to have joy in life and have joy in ministry. But here he pray specifically that they have joy while they, while they minister to the world. Think about what that means, to have joy while the world persecutes them and tries to kill them. 
Jesus has already talked about this. In fact, he mentioned it in the passage that we read. John 15, 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. He's pointing back at the parable of the vine and the branches. And he says, I have said that for you, I have said you need to remain in me and I will remain in you. And if you do so, you will have fullness of joy. See, the joy that Jesus speaks of is the joy that comes to our lives from being connected and remaining in the true vine. You see, it's, it's not even if we, we, we think that our joy that we have is completely dependent on our behavior, so to speak. If we're living obedient, in obedience to the Lord, we think then we should be joyful. If we're not living in obedience to the Lord, then we should not be joyful. Now, this is going to sound kind of weird, but we should be joyful in either case. There's a lot to be joyful in either case, because we're not always going to be perfect. We're not always going to do the right thing. Life is not always going to work out the way we think. But yet we know that we are still connected to the vine. Therefore, we have joy. But does that mean we smile everywhere we go and we never frown? No. And I think I told you this before. I don't trust someone who smiles all the time. I just find that weird. Someone who just always, always smiles. It means that despite what we go through, the Lord is there with us. And there's comfort, there's hope, and there's the joy of the Lord. So as the disciples abide in the name of the Father, the joy, the joy of the Lord remains on them. Now, isn't it lovely that, believers, that, that the, a believer's joy is, is predicated on our union with the Father and not our circumstances? I, I thank God for that. If it was based on our circumstances, I, I could never find joy. Ever. Especially if, if, if you're like me and you struggle, you're someone who struggles with just being concerned about everything. Your mind never rests. You're just thinking about everyone and everything and you can't help it. There would never be joy. But see, our joy is not predicated on, on, on our circumstances. It's based on our union with, with Christ. Paul talks about this. I want to read this passage to you very quickly because I think it's a great passage for us to consider whenever we're talking about the joy of the Lord and what we should look like as we mature in Christ. I want to read from you, for you Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. This is what Paul says. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Now listen to this part right here. Beautiful. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro 
by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I love that passage because that, that's the joy of the Lord. Paul's talking about, hey, whatever's happening, we don't focus on that. We focus on our calling. We deal with it. Yes, we have to deal with it. But we continue to press on. We don't base our joy on our circumstances We press on. And even though we're frowning on the outside, we have hope in the inside. And believe me, if you have hope on the inside, that frown on the outside, it it will turn right side up soon enough. So, despite all that you've been through in life, that's how you're able to remain joyful in the Lord. Because you are with him, because you are kept in his name. Jesus also says in verse 15, he says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Man, I appreciate this prayer so much. It's so awesome. See, Jesus knows that the world will hate us. And I I really appreciate it because Jesus didn't say, this is the way I pray for my family and my kids. Lord, I pray that nothing bad happened to them today. Right? That's what, exactly what we want to pray for. I catch myself. Lord, I pray that everything is great. Nothing bad happened to them. No one hurt their feelings. They all make A's. <laughs> They're completely obedient. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. How are they going to be sanctified? Is that the way your father treats you? Is that the way your heavenly father treats you? Is is that the way your savior prayed for you? No, not at all. Jesus, knowing that we're going to have trouble, he didn't say, Lord, keep them from all trouble. He just said, keep them from the evil one. See, that lets you know there's purpose to your trouble. Wonderful. And Jesus knows that the world will hate, will, will hate us, will hate his disciples as the world has hated him. But he prays specifically, not that they be kept from that hatred or from that trouble, but he prays specifically that they be kept from the devil. And it's a reflection of what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Exactly the same, it's, it's a reflection of that. See, it is not the physical or the social troubles of the world with, that Jesus prays for here. Rather, he is praying that, they be, that they, they, they be kept from being morally corrupt. That's what he's praying for for the disciples. That they be kept from being morally corrupt. We know that Satan seeks to corrupt those who follow Christ. 
His goal is to draw them back to him. To draw them back under the influence of sin. That's what his goal is. And Jesus here is praying against that for his disciples. He says, Lord, keep them from the evil one. You know what that means? That means we who used to belong to darkness, who were saved and transferred to the kingdom of light, we who are truly in the kingdom of light, we will never go back to darkness. That is a wonderful thing. That, that is deserving of an amen. That's exactly right. It's beautiful. Jesus is praying, Father, I'm, I'm, I'm physically leaving the disciples right now. There is a roaring lion out here who's looking to devour them. And now think about this in light of the cross and what everything's going to happen and all the doubt that would come in their mind after Jesus was crucified. We talk about Satan attacking. Satan was on the prowl right now. In the light of all that that was happening, they stayed from being morally corrupt. Think about who we're talking about. These are deserters. These are cowards. When we talk about the disciples, hey, let's be honest. And we're no different, but let's be honest. These are guys who deserted Christ when he needed them the most. Peter was a coward. They didn't do anything they said they were going to do. So, yes, these are deserters. These are cowards who became mighty men of God. Because they were kept in his name. Because they were kept from moral corruption. Because the devil never got a hold of them like he wanted to. The same is true for us today. See, what we have to understand is, yes, that yes, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The Bible says that we have to resist him standing firm in the faith. But although he, although he, he walks around he, and, and, and he's, he's this intimidating figure, and even though we deal with evil, even though we deal with sinfulness, we know that we will always belong to God. And we know this because Jesus has prayed this for the disciples and it was true for them. As they continued to live out their lives, they never went back to what they were doing before. They never went back to the sin that they served before. This is where we have to understand as God's people that the devil is not equal to God. We have to understand that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. If you are God's, he will keep you from the evil one. He will keep you from going back to slaves of the devil, to, from, from going back to being a slave of sin. And we can have hope in that. 
And look at verse 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Now this is the fourth prayer for the disciples. And he's asking them to be sanctified in truth. Now to be sanctified means to be made holy. And he's specifically saying that the truth that he's speaking of here is the word of Christ. So Jesus is asking that they continually be made holy by his word. What's awesome about it is that the word was their ministry. And through them, the word sits on your lap today. Isn't that amazing? The word of God, these words that he was speaking in this prayer sits on your lap because of the work that God did through these disciples, these disciples who would become apostles. So yes, these deserters, these cowards, as I said before, became mighty men of God through the sanctifying work of Christ Jesus, through the word that they preached. I think that's a really important lesson for us as well. As we get in the word I know it's a cliche, but we get the word in us. It's so true. As we get in the word, we get the word in us, and we are sanctified by it through everything that we go through in life. See, as we look at these four requests, there's two more, but we'll tackle those next week. As we look at these four requests and how they were made for the disciples, we can see how easily they apply to us today. And because Jesus prayed for these things, we know that they're being answered just like he prayed for them. So as we look at these prayers from Jesus, in other words, we can, we can have confidence that these things are happening for us today. What things are happening? Well, we're being kept in his name, number one. We're being kept in his name. Number two, we have joy because we are being kept in his name. Number three, we are being kept from the evil one. And number four, we are being sanctified through his word by everything that we go through in this world. And we could rest assured that the work that God began in us that he is going to complete it. See, for me, I'm glad, I'm so glad we've done the Gospel of John and specifically gone back to John chapter 17. This is a chapter that has been long, for, long forgotten for me. I, I preached it, man, maybe about, here at this church, maybe about five or six years ago. It was so powerful in my life, whenever I had first preached it, going back and reading over it and studying over it again, I don't think this is a chapter I'll never forget again. It's going to be one of those chapters that I go back to often when I struggle with different things. Because the way, the light that I saw it in this time was just extremely different than the first time when I preached on it the first time. God opened my eyes to say, like, this is what my son prayed for you about. 
If you ever have any doubts about any of these things, go back and read his word and you know that I have answered his prayer just as he asked it. So if I ever have any doubts about being kept in the name of God, I'm going to go back to John 17. Remind myself. No, the Lord prayed for me concerning that. If I ever have any doubts about joy and maintaining my joy, and I, if I ever put my joy in circumstances, I need to go back to John, to John 17 and learn that the joy of the Lord is in me because I am connected to the vine. Yes, it's a chapter that we must go back to often to remind ourselves of the wonderful work that God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it has encouraged us today, how we are able to see this intimate prayer from the Son to the Father, from your Son to you. So full of encouragement for us. To know that the disciples were cared for so much and to see the power of this prayer in their lives and how it applies to your church in general. Just humbling. And it's a great reminder of the hope that we have in Christ. Whenever we begin to doubt, or fall back, or want to chase sin again, pray that you remind us of John chapter 17 and the high priestly prayer. We know that Jesus' intercession didn't end here. In fact, he was exalted at, the, at your right hand, and he's interceding for us today. The things that he prayed for then, they have surely come to fruition in our lives today. And we just look back at those moments and we just praise you. Let your name be glorified in our lives. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.